Hey guys. Uh, so, wow. Uh, so what Daniel talked about at the Fruit of the Spirit, which is kind of a preview to a series that we're going to get to. But we're going to focus on this idea of the Fruit of the Spirit, which if you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know that list. But just to know how we kind of operate here, and I'll actually hit on this in the sermon, when you read things like the Fruit of the Spirit, it's not saying, okay, be patient, be kind, be gentle. Rather, it's telling us what our lives can be and progressively grow towards as we engage in practices that make room for Jesus in our life. We don't do this, we make room for it. Because, uh, I'll hit on this a little bit more, because just hearing lists like that to think, okay, it's another list of things to fail at. It's like those early books on how to be a good husband I read when we first got married. I'd keep them up on the toilet, like, you know, the five languages of love or something. I'd, I'd read it and get like, yeah, I suck. Yeah, yeah. you know, the problem is, everyone, every, then a wife reads that book and thinks, man, I want to marry the guy that wrote this. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, and I want to say, caveat, these guys, those books, well, some of them are. Some of them are. Uh, I want to give a clarification for what the McKennas are doing, is who here grew up in the church, like, and maybe a pretty strict background. Okay, this is not focus on the family. We don't believe in focus on the family. We believe in focusing on Jesus. Jesus redeems and transforms our hearts that help us to function healthily as in marriage and as parents and as kids. We have a Jesus-focused not a family focus. And what I found is when you focus on something other than Jesus, the next thing that comes up, there's these weeds that poke through and damage the whole garden. And that is legalism rules and oftentimes systems of abuse and oversimplification. All right. Uh, I, I, uh, I just want to say that, but what we're doing here is I believe when the Holy Spirit enters the room and when we become biblically focused, not verse focused, but Bible story focused, like reading the whole deal, letting the Holy Spirit form us, learning how to receive grace, extend grace, make space for the Holy Spirit to blow in. And then you get to have this dynamic. Like uh, I, I, I never did lists very good in my marriage, but I remember the time Kathleen's in the back seat at age three, and, and as we were making, engaging in like spiritual practices of prayer, solitude, meditation on scripture, it changed us in other ways. And I remember Kathleen at age four in her car seat going, mommy and daddy, we were driving down to Gatlinburg, I think. I said, yeah, honey. He goes, I just wanted to tell you, I'm so proud of you. You don't fight nearly as much as you used to. And that's the transformation Christ can bring. But I had to unlearn a lot of stuff that I assumed growing up. And I'm not saying there's not good stuff in any of those places. But it only takes a little cyanide and a beautiful apple to do damage. Right? So anyway, so I'm really excited about these class because I know, what I know about these guys is grace comes first. Number one. Number two, they, they don't know what they're doing in the most beautiful way, meaning they're figuring it out as they go along. They're fellow sojourners pursuing God and seeing what it does. And three, 
it's just really fun to be with. You know, it's, it's a bummer to hang out with people that aren't fun to be with, and they're fun to be with. And I think Jesus has something to do with that too. So anyway, Babylon USA, we've been reading the book of Daniel, and I've like gone blitzed through certain chapters, and now, what the heck? I've zoned in on one phrase in one chapter, and we're probably going to end up doing one, three weeks on this one phrase. But... This phrase is so important to me because it ties into childhood trauma. It ties into the climate of hate in our country that oftentimes people appropriate the name of Jesus to justify their hate. This, this one phrase describes, can be used to describe everything that I get sad about when I look around me can fall into this one phrase. And this phrase can also describe what has enabled me to be in my unhealthy and my un most unhealthy times and what has helped me to be distant, disengaged, and unhelpful. All these things. So this one phrase, I can tell you, I can spend hours, and I promise I won't, I can tell you hours of fail stories about me because of the fortress mentality. So the fortress mentality, fortress mentality, talks about this, this king, this king to come, who was probably about a specific ruler, but also a typology of how coercive power manifests. And the, that king sacrifices to what's called the god of fortresses. And there's debate, is this referring to an actual god, or is this just a concept they're trying to say, hey, what, all these people worship these other gods who they think they do these bad things for these gods and those gods will offer them protection. So meaning like all idolatry in one way builds a fortress of false self and false protectiveness. So with that said, friends, there's a good reason why fortresses initially form in our lives. There's a good reason to have fortresses form in our lives when we're children. Oftentimes, a kid needs a fortress, or they're not going to make it. But what perpetuates cycles of abuse, neglect, or mental illness, or disenchantment is staying in the fortress forever, living in the fortress forever. The Bible is full of provisions of God that were just for a time. Even when God fed the children of Israel, wandering in the desert, he gave them manna. He said, guys, don't start a manna pantry. I'm going to give you some more every day. So here's the test. Are you going to trust me? Don't bank your manna. And what did people do? They banked their manna. And what did that do? They transformed to maggots. And then what did that do? Israel, can you imagine how many, I mean, maggots are gross. Anyway, so God provides things that are good for a stage of life, but the natural order of a broken system is we don't take ever take off our splint. We don't ever take off the cast for the broken leg. Get a cast when you break your leg, but ideally, when the bones meld together, get that cast off and go to physical therapy and build that muscle. Life is not to be lived in a body cast or a soul cast. But early childhood trauma especially, but major trauma any time in our lives kickstart the fortress mentality. So I want you to hold on to this idea. I'm going to kind of shift and it's going to be looking like uh, I have awkward transitions and I'm just going on rabbit trails. So here's what I want you to do for me. 
I want you to realize that I would be preaching for three hours if I had good transitions between my points. So instead, I want to get three points together in hopefully a less, smaller period of time and tie them together at the end. Is that cool? Permission? Okay. And guys, listen, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some euphemisms uh, it, to be a blessing to the younger children, but I'm going to be talking about maybe some serious stuff, childhood stuff and everything. So I'm going to use appropriate language because I know that's a concern in, based on past performance. And, but I also want you to know that what I'm referring to is not, you know, this, this light stuff. Let your brain go to the heavy place because we're talking about reality here, not uh, saccharinized Christianity. So, Lord Jesus, uh, please help me to be truthful, brief, helpful, and to honor you, and please open all our hearts uh, to have more of you and more space for you. Amen. So, um, it was like 19, let's see, what year was it? I, I, I write down dates because I don't do numbers very well. It's 1993, and I'm hanging around at the Oval OSU campus, and I noticed two children. These children were, this was before cosplay was a thing, but if it were now, I would think they were cosplaying, like they were dressing up like they were maybe some version of Amish and militia or something. I don't know, they were, I mean, they were wearing like, a young lady was in like this full, the, the little girl's in this like full dress that almost looked like it was made of canvas and ruffled sleeves and wearing like this hat that, uh, it actually, the Handmaid's Tale. That's, wait, that's exactly what it looked like. Have you guys seen that show, The, the Handmaid's Tale? And the little boy uh, was, I think, a little younger. Uh, they, I, they, had, they couldn't have been more than eight years old. Was with her. And I was just like, what is going on? This very picture of these uh, children I've seen. What, what's going on? Well, quickly, I... because. You've seen how I walk. I don't walk like this. I kind of lurch, and I kind of have a little pogo in my bottom. And uh, people can identify me in giant crowds. So I look down, and I don't see what's in front of me. And I've actually uh, almost died and often been injured because of this. But So I saw the kids, but, and I didn't see what was going on. When I'm in my own little world, I don't hear people shouting or anything if I'm just obsessing on something. So I see the kids. Then I look up, and then I start hearing the shouting. So it's this married couple who would travel all over the campuses around the United States. This is before the internet. So uh, the be- the, most of the vitriolic, unhelpful arguments happen face to face. Now we do most of them passive aggressively online. But they were shouting. Uh, this guy, uh, I don't even know. I mean, if he was not a preacher, he could have been in a death metal band or screamo because his voice never, never tired. And what I noticed more, I, the words I heard often repeated uh, were hell, were word you use to describe someone who is uh, working to deliver services that are, best ex- that are not intended to be sold or bartered. Does that make sense? Are we following me? Uh, they, uh, 
she was described, I didn't know there were so many words you could use to describe promiscuity. And not only that, part of the teaching was how denim jeans on women are the gateway or indicator of promiscuity. It was really weird. And uh, other things like you can only read the King James Bible because uh, that's not even worth going into. But it was weird. But what happened, I noticed, is like these kids are sitting by them, and there's these parents that are just like machine-gunning Bible verses. And guys, there is one way that Bible verses can make us stupid or empower evil. And what it is, is when we don't have verses anchored in the soil of the story from which they came. When we don't have scriptures anchored within the story from which they came, you can make the Bible say anything. And you actually, when someone, when someone machine guns Bible verses, you don't learn very much about Jesus maybe, but you learn a lot about them. You learn a lot about them because oftentimes people maybe make God in their image. People maybe make God into being the same abuser that their parent was. Uh, people do all kinds of things to God. And frankly, if you conceive of God a certain way, you become whatever you worship. That's why it's so important to binge read the Bible. Give 10% of your Netflix time and get an Audible Bible app. The Bible wasn't meant to be read because most of the early believers were illiterate. It's awesome to read the Bible. But what I'm saying is learning to hear it. We didn't know how to hear things for years unless it was rock and roll. But because of the advent of podcasts, we're used to listening for long periods of time, which has been a lost art in the United States of America. Praise Jesus for all the addictive podcasts, you know, uh, uh, Dr. What's that one? All those true crime podcasts might actually help you learn about Jesus because they've trained you to listen. Now let's listen to the Gospels over and over and over. Because, and tell me what part about Jesus you hate the most. That's why I always tell my, my friends who think I'm like doing harm for being a pastor and stuff. I said, you know what? You're right. Christians do so much harm in this country. I want you to read the gospel of Matthew and tell me the worst, top 10 worst things about Jesus. <laughs> and they find out, wow, I've rejected Christianity because I agree with Jesus on too many things. Well, anyway, uh, so what I'm saying is like, this guy didn't tell any Bible stories. He just machine gunned people with verses in archaic translations using uh, multisyllabic words to tell people they must live, breathe, and drink, and swim in shame. And we often say here, we do not do shame. We do not do shame. We welcome conviction. Shame is a ray that paralyzes us paralyzes us into self-loathing. Conviction is you're really not going to enjoy the path you're on. You're going to either be harmed or do harm. It's hard to get off that path, but I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you every single resource you need to get off that path. Conviction is not about shaming. Conviction of sin Sin is a very, uh, sin is such a beautiful concept. Sin, I love the word sin in this respect. Sin is how I identify the specific things that have harmed me or how I am perpetuating harm. 
And when I understand sin, and when sin, it's not to shame me, it's to say, behind every conviction of sin is a superpower to change your life. All right? I, I, I'm not, you know, Jesus isn't saying, you're, you, you know, as a husband, Jeff, you are the worst. He's saying, Jeff, you know what I said in the Sermon on the Mount about this and the way you just talked to your wife? Uh, I want to help you to be more like me in that situation and be a better husband. Zacchaeus, you know, uh, shook people down, betrayed his own people, uh, pushed so many into poverty. He meets Jesus. Next thing do, he's handing out big bags of money to everyone he ripped off. And he's not grumpy about it. He's not like, no, this is, this is not I, uh, reparations. That's just some liberal. No, he's saying like, no, I have financial resources to make injustice go away that I perpetuated. He's saying like, that's repentance. Repentance is joy. Repentance is I don't have to be a jerk like that anymore because God provided. So can I tell you, so let's, let's redeem sin. I mean, you let's redeem using that word to say sin is diagnosis of healing opportunities, obedience opportunities, and unleashing kindness. All right? So, well, anyway, with the way this guy talked about sin, he, had, he was firing like this machine gun of shame bullets or something. It was like viral. Now, the crowds, big crowds of people. Let's talk about, like, a, I saw a big chunk of guys that I would maybe appear to be fraternity brothers to me. I, you know, I've never been in a fraternity, you know, it's a, whatever. Uh, but these guys were goading on this preacher. They were saying offensive things, whatever they could say to get him more riled up. Now, this guy was a seasoned pro. He didn't mind. He knew what he was doing, and he knew these guys trying to goad him on will make more of a spectacle, which means more people will come. I mean, he wasn't a dumb person. I think his operating system was corrupted, but he ran the system very well. So there's another group of people who, like, he yelled at, and somehow it, it was able to get through their mental uh, uh, kind of discernment that this guy's crazy and went to their heart and really triggered them and they'd start yet passionately yelling that you can't call me this you can't call me that because somehow they heard the voice of an abuser in their life saying all these things to them and they were triggered and lost it on him keep in mind these two little kids dressed up like they're from the handmaid's tale are right attached at the hip with mom and dad eight years old attached at the hip and so we have people goading them. We have, we have the babysitter age, men and women, like crying or screaming at their parents, which means they're, they're seeing this traumatic level of emotional display. And then uh, there's, uh, this is kind of what I, I used to, I would go there, Bible in hand, and say, hey, you want to hear the real story? You know, in my heart, but I was like, Jesus is so much better than this. Uh, not very effective. I mean, it didn't really. And then you would have people from different campus ministries had invitations to hear an apologist speak to convince them that you, proofs of the existence of God and everything. So people would try to uh, kind of exploit this crowd. I didn't recall really any of it working, except uh, my friend Jay 
uh, Pathak, who's actually now uh, the leader of the vineyard movement, actually, homegrown, uh, found a different way to meld the frat boy and the Jesus together. And he would go, hey, why don't you just tell us a story about Jesus? I want to hear about Jesus. And he would just kind of, he wouldn't heckle him meanly, wouldn't argue, he wouldn't try to say absurd or profane things. He would just say, what about Jesus? What's your favorite Jesus story? What's your favorite part of the Sermon on the Mount? You know, and he's like, come on. I, you know, if I want to give you my time, I want to, let's go to the straight dope. And that to me was funny. It was non-reactive. It came from deeply held principles. And it was life-giving. And oh, just the, the sheer theater of it was inspiring. So anyway. But these kids, I'm, we're getting to that. We're getting to that. It gets worse. No. So from birth, from birth, these kids have been formed before they were born. Their pre-born selves were in the womb of a chest that was vibrating and hearing the noise of screaming their entire pregnancy. They heard anger, which is not in the list, they heard rage, which was not in the list from Galatians 5 that we talked to the kids about. And I do believe there is trauma that happens to humans before they come out. And then they were in carriers and then baby slings or whatever around this continual barrage of evil language. And guys, what we know about neuroscience right now confirms... Everything the Bible has ever taught about how the damage speech does. And, how, and actually, the book of James describes like the, the catastrophic power of badly said or wrongly said words. And now we know that that actually forms the brain. So these kids have grown up there. And one thing I noticed, those th different groups and different responses to this preacher... I praise God for this. Not one of them, even though the kids sometimes would participate, they would point, they would yell, not one derisive term, not one insult, not even an angry eye connect with any of those children came from the crowd. No matter who they were, whether it was atheists or, you know, uh, you know buzzing trap boys or zealous Christians or whatever, None of them even made an unkind form of eye contact with the kids. Why? Because kids are to be well, hey, why, why do you think? Uh, anyone else? Why did they not direct anger at these children? I know this is... What was that, Sarah Beth? Neurodiversity. And uh, the other thing is with, with these children, these children are objects of compassion even for many of the most hardened non-religious people, they still don't have a hate category for these children. But the Bible teaches that there is a contagious element to patterns of sin. The sins of the parents are visited upon the children. At the very not-so-secret origin story of God's chosen people, Israel, the most consistent thing we see is multi-generational sin patterns. You know, every other dynasty 
when they write their story in the ancient world or today, extol the exaggerated virtues of their heroes and cover up the failures. The interesting disconnect of Hebrew scriptures from every other ancient Near Eastern religion ever is it goes into detail of everyone's fails. They, they, I'll tell you what, the, the, the people of Israel were, really weren't good at doing propaganda when the, the Hebrew scriptures were put together because, not because they were anti-propaganda, but the Holy Spirit played a role in the collation of these stories. So, Abraham... You know, Abraham is going to uh, be a father of many nations, even though he's elderly and fertile and they haven't had any kids yet. Abraham uh, chickens out in Egypt and doesn't want anyone to kill him and take his wife, so he pretends he's just their sister, and the pharaohs take his wife. And before anything happens, God warns the pharaoh, no, they're married. So, uh-oh. And then, so Abraham put his wife's safety in a culture where a leader would get whatever they wanted sexually in order to save his own skin. He has Isaac. And by the way, there's so many great attributes about everyone I'm talking about. There's not, you know, we've got good, bad, and the ugly all wrapped up in souls that are massively loved by Jesus. We have Isaac does almost the exact same thing. Then his son Jacob, that one translation of his term is usurper or deceiver. I mean, this is like going the, pure, the high test stuff. Uh, Jacob is able to trick his other brother out of his inheritance, dishonor his father, and not only that, he becomes the craftiest businessman, business person that we've heard of in any ancient Near Eastern stories. And then Jacob has 12 kids, 11 of which are liars, and 10 of which that continue to be liars until they're busted out. Okay? So what we see is, at what point did Isaac go, that little laughing kid... Two, you're going to put your wife's safety in danger through deception. When was Isaac just like, even if he poops, he's cute. And when did he become this person that did this to his wife? When this evangelist, now there might be a beautiful story. I don't know the end of the story, but maybe these kids had some kind of breaking point and were able to get help and break away from this culture of abuse. And maybe they rediscovered Jesus and who Jesus really is. Maybe they got to actually read the Bible and not read verses. I don't know. But so often, kids absorb the broken operating system of their parents and either react so far against it that every action of their life is just the mirror of their parents' script, which can often do damage as well. Or they just imitate it. So reactivity, imitation, not this is who I am and my true self, I want to live out of this. But somewhere along, let's imagine these kids just took up the family business. At what age do we stop having compassion for them and do we start hating them? At what age do these kids who grew up in the womb of hate, at what age do they get to the point where we will look them in the eye and scream at them, mock them, and yell at them. What, what age? Guys, what, what age is the appropriate time to shift gears? Never. Never. Well, I, I, and by the way, Kevin's not just saying that because Kevin's perfect. Kevin's saying that because he has walked a life full of hardships that have taught him how to love by God's grace. And I love 
when you worked the floor at your job, I loved coming in there to see because you radiated Jesus' love around a bunch of cynical people. Don't you love that when you catch people being like Christ and you can just catch them in the act? Anyway, so these kids, what age do we start applying names to them? Well, guys, I want to fast forward here. There are so many things that discourage me from the highest levels of leadership of this country to the lowest levels of religious devotion to some political system or person in the other. Guys, uh, people have often accused me because of, I often talk about fatherless, widow, alien, and stranger because it's inescapable in scriptures. People have actually like, called me a liberal or a Democrat or all this stuff. And I'm like, what? He said, I am not a joiner. I'm one of those guys that holds my nose and hope the person I vote for kills less people than the other person. I don't put someone's name on a sign in my yard because I know Jesus and Jesus is so much more fun. Are you seeing it too? I don't trust anyone. And I'm not saying don't participate in the system, but I'm saying I believe, I believe in gratitude and I could go for hours of all the ways I'm gratitude for my, grateful for our planet, my country, my state, my city, my neighborhood, and my neighbors. I yes, can, thank you, I can Lord. spend forever expressing gratitude towards that. Thank you, but Lord. But I'm not patriotic, and I hope to Jesus Christ I never become patriotic. Because patriotic, the way, and you may define it differently, guys. You may define it differently. Let me say what I mean by patriotism. Patriotism is singing hymns of praise toward your governing system. Patriotism is... Uh, is rose-colored glasses that say whatever foreign policy we engage in, I'm behind it. Okay. Pa- let's stand, uh, let's have everybody stand. We're gonna do communion. Um, I've got. No. Okay. Time. Okay. So I'm gonna. Stand I'm gonna skip to the very end. Okay. So, everybody stand. Patriotism. If I, Adrian, can I say something to you? So if I sing songs to you all the time, right? All the time. Whose name do I put in those songs? Jesus or Adrian. Yeah. So even if or Kathleen or Ian. Yeah, I sing songs to her all the time. Now, what if I took the name of someone we knew, a woman we knew, and spent half my time singing songs about her and talking about how amazing she is? I would not be down with that. What if my, I was on the internet whenever someone did her, I would go in three-hour Facebook debates to argue in her stead? I'd be like, I think you need to get an apartment. <laughs> Guys. I think patriotism, I think, is a form of adultery in a way. If you define it the way I'm defining it. And by the way, that's not to shame any patriots out there. It's to say there's a way to have a much richer life. So all this to say, guys, everything that has triggered your amygdala, be it someone from the left or someone from the right, where you go to the hate place and not the love place, what if we all believed that everyone was born into a traumatic environment or some first formation that built a scenario like these children. When is it okay to hate? Now, the answer is never. I'm not completing Thank this so deal. Rachel is going to be sharing more about this next week, but I want to, it's important that I welcome and invite you to something. We are having an online retreat. It used to be called Faith Walking. It's over Zoom. Now it's called Emotionally Focused. And the idea is uh, you can't be can't be emotionally immature and spiritually mature. The emotions are the gateway to find out where Jesus wants to work in your life. Amen. It's called Emotionally Focused. It's in November. It's a Friday night, Saturday till afternoon. Retreat over Zoom. 
If you want to know about it, it's all about first formation and how you can break the chain. Ask Carl about it. He'll have all the details. Ask Gary. Actually, I was going to say, ask Gary. Ask Kim Eckhart. Ask Louise and Rachel. Anyone else been to it? June went through it. June. June. Ask them. Ask the Gibbons. Um, This has been out of years of therapy counseling, doctor's appointments, marriage coaching, all of which were helpful. This was the most formative thing of me breaking from multi-generational problems and getting past my first formation. We're still being set free, but it's a retreat. I just touched on one point of it. Because we're practicing these things. So first (laughs) formation. Practicing the fruits of the spirit, right? Yeah. First formations cause us to build fortresses. Can I say one last thing? Because this will tie into ministry. People need to stand to get to lunch. Stand, stand. So listen. When the first formations, when your kids, some prayer too. You build up walls when your parents are screaming at you. If dad's drunk and throwing things, you go and hide. But when you're not living with dad, if you go and hide, whenever there's conflict, you won't be able to have a relationship. That protective mechanism kept you safe, but it won't keep you married. That's right. And Jesus can disrupt. So we have people here to pray for you. I know I've dug up a lot of dirt, haven't really uh, organized it well into a garden, but I'll leave that to Rachel in this retreat. No, you know what? Why don't we do communion?